step, use the shot, yeah. score! They score! Nate Smith, Chuck scores! Alex Handler with the ball for the point! Snake by Jack Rappo! Elias Patterson, power play goal! Back to Bieksa, he shoots, he scores! Kevin Bieksa! writer for Province Sports of Vancouver Sun. You know him because he phones off his banana. Patrick Johnson, how are you doing today? Hey boys, how's it going? Oh, you know, it's been uh, it's been an interesting 48 hours and, and really a uh, whole season for us. And I guess, you know, when, when was the last time it wasn't interesting? I guess maybe is the yeah. better question. Um, yeah. I did jot down a question here just to start us off. Um, what the fuck? What happened? <laughs> I wanted to get a phrasing on that, right? Right. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, on your first point, I mean, I've been doing this, this is my third season doing this job. And since I started, it's never been boring. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's why I do meet, that's why I do the news. But yeah, the 1040 stuff was unbelievable. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I think the reaction of everybody here, you know, is the same. It was just dumbfounded. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I said it. I said it on Twitter. I was Zoso Canuck had a great series of tweets about uh, sort of the meaning of of that station. And you know, it is a niche. Let's be clear. It's a niche. It's a very specific group of people. It's not like this is, you know, one of the major news networks. Um, you know, news stations. This isn't the CBC. This isn't CKNW. Whatever. Right. Like that's those are huge market leaders. But it's still important and it mattered. And there was a community there, there's history there, there's institutional knowledge there. Um, you know, you looked at the number of people that shared stories from their own sort of childhood. I mean, our, you know, I mean, I was, I was already in my twenties when the station started, but like, it's been there my entire adult life, you know? Um, you know, you look at, you know, like anyone younger, it's been there since they were in high school. Like it was a thing that mattered and um, you look at the stories of people like who lived in, you know, remote areas of BC and went into like, they, this was the radio, like this was the world, this was their connection. You know, however they were able to listen to Canucks games and listen to the station, you know, online, because they're always online. They've been online since almost the beginning, I think. Um, you know, this is how they got into radio. There's a woman, uh, I think it was a Catherine Garrett. <clears throat> she works in Prince George. She had a very touching tweet about this is why she's in radio. Um, you know, people, people from Australia saying like, this is how I kept in touch with this team. It was ridiculous. I'm a fan that was, you know, lived on the other side of the world, but I still followed the team and I'd listened to the station and I, that's how I kept up with what was going on. And, you know, that means something that matters. Um, and so to just have it ripped out is unbelievable. It's, it's just, it is, you know, it is just a thing. It's a small thing, but it's, it was an important thing. And of course, more than ever now when, people are feeling isolated you know i think people were listening in a certain way people were listening to it more than ever obviously the metrics were different i mean the metrics aren't don't even matter it was clear that people were listening to it listening in a different way um and so at the end of the day to be told that you know it, it to be told that it was just a number i mean i think it's so hard you know to depending on what you do for work, you may or may not have this experience, but you know, when you work for a large company, I think more often than not, the, at some point you come to realize you're just a number on a balance sheet. And that's really upsetting and really frustrating because you work with people. And if you're lucky to work at a place you enjoy working at, you know, you like the people around you, your, your community at work is around you. And of course in media, it's also the people that you interact with. And so for, you know, the audience who just want to listen to people talk sports, talk hockey, you know, share some jokes, tell some stories, have stupid little routines they go through every day to be told that all that was just a number and it didn't matter or that yeah. someone important in quotes thought it didn't matter that that didn't, was a substantial. That's I think the other emotional part of it because it's because people don't, most people I think in the end don't have that experience um or at least it's not put in front of them very often and that's what that's what happened on tuesday and 
you know, we know those people. It's also that sort of personal relationship. Like, obviously, I know people, I know them personally, the people affected, but like, you know, listeners, this, these are people that they come to know through their sort of on-air persona. And, you know, there's a personal connection there and that's gone. It's just not there. It's just yeah. like, you can't even turn the radio on and listen. It's not, that, there's nothing that there. exactly what I was going to say. Is it just, we, you feel so helpless. Yes. You know, we didn't, we didn't vote for this. It's not like we stopped watching or listening to yeah. team 1040 or TSN 1040 and, yeah. you know, Hey, well, I guess if you know, you're, you're not going to sink, you're going to, you're, you're not going to swim, you're going to sink. Yeah. And it was just pulled. And, and then again, to me, if, if they'd gone about this a different way, said, Hey guys, you know, we got two more weeks, you know, this is going to be tough. Unfortunately, this is a difficult financial decision mm-hmm. and, and gone about it that way instead of just literally pulling the plug with an automated voice, uh, you know, message. And then that fuck you, that's good riddance yeah. to, to play them out. Like, again, there's, there, you know, one of my analogies that I love to use is there's a distinct difference between peeing in the pool and peeing into the pool. It's not just what you do. It's how you do it. And yeah. I think again, they couldn't have done a more piss poor job that of course is naturally going to upset all of the employees and you know former employees and then all your fans that you're hoping at some point i assume are going to turn into this new comedy show so where's that motivation and wow. and then again of course the other thing that i think you know was your one of your interesting tweets and one of the actual things that i wrote down that i wanted to ask you was you know what can we really do because of course you know, again, a lot of people were going, oh, I'm going to cancel my bell. I'm going to cancel my Shaw or sorry, my, yeah. uh, you know, all these things. <laughs> there were and people you, say they're canceling shots. I'm canceling everything. <laughs> I'm not even listening to media anymore. I'm going to get myself over, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, but you tweeted, hey, there are actually some tangible yeah. things that we can do. So I think that would be really interesting to hear. Yeah. I, I mean, to be clear, I mean, uh, it, it's obvious one way or another, people were going to lose their jobs. Right. So whether you're told to prepare for the end or not, doesn't matter. The end is coming and the end is unfair. That's what matters. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's so rare that we, we do see a corporation show its colors so publicly like they did. To me, that's that's the other side message. Um, you know, companies sit down and say, well, you know, it's not as profitable as we think it should be. And it's not even about saying, I mean, the whole messaging is ridiculous. It's not even about saying, well, you know, people want to listen to a comedy station. Like they don't, nobody's going to listen to a comedy station. They know that. It's just that they know that for whatever reason, they're carrying on with this station. I mean, I think Bell doesn't think there's a future for AM radio. I and mean, you talk to people in it. They know, they know that these days are coming. Like the shift is, is happening. I mean, what, what radio is going through is what TV has been going through. It's what, you know, print media has already been going through. Like the advertising dollar shift is incredible, and it is why it is. I mean, I'm not denigrating you guys. I think it's great you're doing podcasts. I yeah, love it. Same as we talk about podcasts. Like, the truth yeah. is, no, but the truth is, is that like it's really you can't go dollars to dollars the money that was on radio to podcasts. There's just it's a lesson we've learned ourselves that you know that you have to think national in terms of the advertising. You really do, and it's really hard even then. So. You know, that that's the other thing about it is it's like they've said, well, you know, there's a curve here and we don't want to ride it out. We don't care. And, you know, I think that's the other thing is that they just ripped the mandate off and told it. I mean, they told their truth anyway, as a national conglomerate. That's what they're focused on. Um, But to get to your question, you know, there's a, there's a few things. I mean, part, one of the big stories here is this is the inevitable outcome of media consolidation. So, you know, we have Bell, we have Rogers, at least in, in Western Canada, are the major, you know, the two major players. There's, there's, there's um, Chorus and there's Shaw, right? So that's four companies on almost all the media. Then you have a few other minor players. You obviously have my company, um, Post Media, you know, and then you kind of go start going down the list and there's, you know, but if you have all, the, this is what happens when you have big things or things that go owned by big things, I should say, and that they just keep chopping, 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 chopping because their focus is just returning, returning profits. And um, that's how they're set up. And that's, that's, you know, good for the people that owe stocks, but it's not actually that good. I mean, everybody else is just sort of, like I said, a number on a balance sheet. 
Um, and we've gotten to this point because regulations have allowed for it. And that's partly because, uh, partly because no one stood up and said, this is an issue. Or if they have, they haven't been loud enough. There hasn't been a broad enough uh, conversation about that. It's also because in the end, these big companies are lobbying government to let them do these things. And governments are like, okay, great. You know, I mean, they, they only go with what they hear. And if they keep hearing from lobbyists, this is what you should do, this is what you should do, that's kind of that's how it works. I mean, it's, it, it's perhaps corrupt, it's perhaps cynical, but it's human nature. So, you know, I, I, I urge people, listen, if this is an issue, if you want, really are concerned, and this is a local news, this isn't just sports radio, if you really do want variety, I mean, people like to choose one thing and stick with it, but if you really care about this as an issue, you know, in the broader sense, you need to write your MP. You need to make this a public issue because this is, a, this is how we want to organize your society. It's no different really than <clears throat> when people stand up and talk about what they want to see in their community, right? In terms of their neighborhood. You know, for the longest time, the truth is for the longest time, you know, we thought of neighborhoods as being the buildings that are in it, right? But neighborhoods are about the people that are in it and, and, and what people are able to do and what they're able to, engage with and and you need to think about the whole lived experience and radio is part of that or media is part of that and and i i think that that it's a mental leap and it's difficult but it is one of those ones where you know there's been a long-standing push to support the cbc you know that that was definitely of its era i don't know if it's still as sort of noticeable as it used to be but you know it was it was there it was a real thing going back you know 20 25 years um you know, that there is talk about that. I mean, my side of the table, we do talk about it. My union is very, very forward about the importance of supporting local media. They have one approach they've been pushing towards government, but like the grassroots, the people, the listeners, the fans, you know, this it's, I know it's hard because it's just like, I just want to listen to sports and I just want to enjoy it. But it's like, if you really want to listen to sports, if you want to have something change, if you want to have more, you really want to see the creative people that were involved who now don't have a job have jobs again. You know, in many ways it's about the environment that these companies are working in and finding ways also to encourage new media. Like that's the other thing that I think people don't quite understand. It's really hard in Canada to start something new when it comes to, you know, what we used to think of as newspapers, but like, you know, a website, if you want to start a news website, it's really hard because it's basically still only set up for profit. If you want to start one that's essentially a nonprofit, that's just there to be the voice, to engage with people, a place like the Taiyi or the Walrus, you have to find these charitable setups and they're not easy. We don't have a sort of, the tax code isn't in favor of this kind of stuff. And, you know, that's the kind of innovation we should be rewarding. We should be rewarding people who want to stand up and take this stuff seriously, push out what they're doing um, and be, be dynamic. And that's the kind of thing too, that people, you know, you need to engage. I know it's, I know in the end, like I said, it's just sports and we just want to enjoy sports, but it is part of the bigger story, which is that if we want more um, insight of what's going on, you know, there is a counterintuitive to it in this, but like, you know, the more you spend on covering politics or whatever, I mean, there is, there's studies that have been done. The moment you lose a local news outlet in a city, the, the, the costs, the capital, like, the, um, the efficiency of public spending gets worse. Like it's literally been proven. And that's because it's not just about the politicians having oversight, but it's about people having oversight over the politicians. They can see where the money is being spent. And it's literally having people ask the questions, you know, what's the justification for this item, line item in the budget, you know? Um, and it, it seems mundane, it seems boring, but that's important for all of us and it helps all of us. And it helps, you know, the number of stories, you know, just thinking back to my non-sports reporting, you know, the number of people that I've talked to that come to you being like, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And you write these stories, you know, Mike, some of the stories we've done over the years are, are amazing. And um, that helps drive change, you know? And I mean, obviously again, sports is well done sort of the latter kinds of that conversation, but it's an important part of people how they enjoy themselves. It's all the stuff around the edges in life. You know, life is everything you do that's not at work, right? Mm -hmm. And 
So that's it. It's a long-winded answer, but really, really, you know, write your MP, you know, get engaged. There's groups out there that are trying to advocate for change in local news to promote, you know, an environment that makes it easier for people to engage with this stuff. And also to push hard against the likes of, like the, the big tech conglomerates have gotten all these breaks on advertising because they've been allowed to, you know, like we're finally now finally, like Netflix, Netflix wasn't originally being told uh, or was originally going to be allowed not to pay the GST. Like what? Like, well, we have to innovate. You're like, they're a multi-billion dollar company. What are you talking about? <laughs> they should pay tax. So, you know, it's advocating for stuff like that. Like there's, there's equity. Everyone, you know, it's not, it's not penalizing people for being successful. It's saying we're in a society and we all have a duty to each other. And, you know, that's how you get involved. It, it, it's not easy. It's not going to, it's not going to re- revive the team 1040 tomorrow. Um, but it will, you know, you, you want to create an environment where you can, you can encourage local ownership, encourage, you know, things like that just for their own sake, not just because they can sell a bunch of ads. Are there particular MPs that you know of that may be a little bit more receptive to this than others? In general, talk to your local MP because it's okay. an issue for you that that's their job. Their job is to engage with you locally um you know your mla as well like they they are your representative and and you know the more you talk to them you know i mean i've i'm not gonna lie you know in my past life i did spend some time uh engaging with with a with a federal mp like that's something i was in it was something i was interested in i was curious about the world of politics i wanted to know more and so i helped out with joyce marie who was the vancouver quadra mp and i you know i learned a fair bit about it it was interesting um, and more than anything, they want to know what people have to say. You know, a large percent of what they do is trying to meet with people and find out what people's issues are and obviously represent the interests of the government to the people. They're going to say, here's what we're doing. Here's why. But, but at the end of the day, like, you know, they're there to serve you. They're, their job is to listen to what you have to say. So, you know, it doesn't mean come in like, off the top rope with all kinds of crazy stuff, but you have to like make your point clear and make it, you know, make it clear how important it is to you and don't take no for an answer. That's the other one too. You know, make your point clear, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing. And that's where you start. Start with your local MP. And then as you, you know, if this is something you really want to get engaged with, keep, keep finding out, looking into who's talking about what, I mean, public records are all there. You can find out who's engaged on these issues. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good people in government. You know, obviously we we're right to be cynical about government, but there are good people there who are you know, who are there because they want to make Canada a better place, um, and it's about pushing them and reminding them that that's why they're there. It's not just about looking good on TV. And there are people obviously who are there just because they like seeing themselves talk on TV, um, but there's a lot of people that are actually there to work and who actually care about care about this country and care about what we do. One thing that I think, like, I, I really like that you touched on was just that, like, even though the, it seemed like a small thing, like, it, it's sports in the grand, huge scope of it, it doesn't seem like much. Like, that, that was a successful station that was very beloved. It was viewed as an institution here in Vancouver. Um, and, like, I know, like, not only just the jobs that were currently, if, like, that were actually affected, future jobs as well for so many people and mm-hmm. I know like there's a lot of people that um they've gone through BCIT or Langara um they've done different courses and I had different messaging me saying like what am I doing mm-hmm. you know like I'm coming into an industry that just chopped half of the jobs in this in this city and and that that's huge like that that's a huge effect on on a market on a on an industry um and I I don't, and that's not even getting into the fact that now we just have like one station that's the right holders for this multi-billion dollar or multi-million dollar company. uh, And that's it now. Um, I, it's a huge loss. And like one of the things that I shared was like, this was never about one station versus another. This Mm -hmm. is an industry that was robbed. These are friends that were robbed, people that were robbed Mm -hmm. of, and and a market that was robbed. And, and I, I do, I do hope that people do. Um, and I think a lot of people are inspired to, to try to do something 
Um, and it's not just about reaching out and, and trying to support new content or find new content. It's about um, the future of that industry as well. And I think those are important things that you touched on. Well, I think I, I looked, Ian McCletchy had a really good tweet earlier, um, earlier today, who's, who was the, he was the producer of Halford and Bruff and had been at 1040 forever. Um, and, you know, he basically pointed out, he was riffing off something Ed Willis had, had tweeted earlier. Ed, of course, my colleague who retired last year, but he'd been told, talking to Jeff Patterson, Jeff had pointed out to him that, you know, at, at, at the game tonight, there will be one radio station at the game. And that's 650, and that's good. I mean, somebody's going to have the rights, but there's nobody else. And <clears throat> in some ways, it's a story about the shifting of how, or the shifts in media, um, and just sort of how those have changed. But just the overall slow but sure, surely shrinking of of the press corps, uh, at least in terms of hockey. You know, so McClatch pointed out in the old days, you know, you would have had reporters from 1040, CKNW. News eleven thirty, which of course essentially is, but that seat's been taken by six fifty. But there would have been someone from News eleven thirty. You would have had at least you know a couple of people from both the province and the Sun. Some nights you would have had maybe four. You'd have someone from the Globe and Mail. You have someone from Canadian Press. You know the list goes on. There were there were a lot of people involved. You'd have a TSN. You know Farhan is still there. You'd have <clears throat> Dan Murphy, but others. Um, there'd be someone from Global. There'd be someone from CTV. You know the list goes on and on and on. But like the truth is, is that, you know, we still have a decent press corps. Like, you know, there's, there's, mm. um, you know, on a given game night, there's one of me or Ben Kuzma. There's, there would have been Jeff. There, there's the, the athletic guys, there's Drance and Harmondale are there. Kevin Woodley's usually there writing for NHL.com. Um, Gemma Carson Smith's there from CP. Ian McIntyre's there from Sportsnet. Uh, um, you know, you still have Farhan there. You, you know, Daniel Wagner's there, which is great. Um, Rob Williams is there, which is great. You know, Irfan's there. Um, you know, there, there's a decent number of people still. And, the, and some of that has shifted because, you know, there are at least, you know, there's, you know, the athletic has essentially replaced, you know, the fact that the sort of rivalry, I mean, they're my rivals now, basically, right? Uh, yeah. They've replaced the Sun Province aspect, but, you know, we won't have Jeff. Um, you know, it, Daniel is there, has a season pass, which is great. Uh, Rob has seen past was great. And both those guys are outlets that didn't exist and they're different voices. And that's really good. Um, you know, Canucks army is usually there. That's good. But we, you know, global usually isn't there anymore. Certainly no one there from CTV. Um, and you know, while there are, were always overlapping ownership, there were still editorial differences between all the places and different interests and the reporters, you know, there was, there were nights I, I remember, you know, you go back 10 years ago, there was also guys, there would be against someone from 24 hours. There would have been someone there from Metro, you know, there were other outlets. There was just, it was a busy, busy place. It's certainly on a practice day. Um, you know, Mike Beamish points out that in the, in the late eighties, um, you know, there was only, there was only, you know, three or four people who'd ever be at a Canucks practice. So we're, we're a long way from that, which is good. But like, you don't want to get back to that. That's not good. That's just, you don't get, you don't get as engaged with it. You know, people want to hear, people are passionate. People want to, you know, know what's going on with their team. They, there is an insatiable interest, certainly from the diehards to read as much as they can. I think the way teams get covered has shifted and, and the way people want to learn about the team has shifted because everybody sees the games. Like that's the thing. That's the difference now. Um, but nonetheless, you know, the more people you have in a, in a, in a place covering something, you know, the, the fewer things get missed, you know, I mean, it's just one of the things that always amazed me was the number of things that like Jeff would pick up. Jeff was just unbelievable how many things he'd keep track of. And I would notice one or two things in a game. And after every game, I was always constantly amazed. Like Jeff, Jeff, or I'd listen to one of his hits and he would just boom, boom, boom. Like there were all these bits and pieces that he was picking up on every night three four five different things and sometimes i'd be like i'd be like all happy with myself oh i thought of that one thing and you know sometimes it would be something he hadn't noticed but then you'd be like oh my god what did i miss and at a certain level you know <laughs> he had it first and then you'd be like holy shit that's what happened but um or wow that really happened you know and it, it helped me train me as i went along i think you know i 
I, 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 I got better at noticing the weird little details. There's no doubt about it. You just sit next to someone that's almost osmosis. You learn how to pick up these things. But he still was the race leader, you know, and that pushes everybody. You know, that pushes everybody. Drance has told me, you know, the, the, you know, when, certainly when we were in the room, when we, you know, last, you know, up until the pandemic, you know, we'd go in the room and uh, Tom, Tom's admitted to me, you know, he always gets nervous when he sees me off somewhere else talking to someone else, like, oh my God, but, <laughs> but that motivates you. I mean, it works for me the same way. Oh God, you know, oh God, what's Harmon, how's Harmon going to destroy us now? You know, what's the latest <laughs> the kid has? Um, but that's how it works, you know, and that's, that's sports. I mean, just to go back to the original discussion, I mean, that's why in the old days, the fact that there were reporters from all across Canada in Ottawa asking MPs questions was really important because local issues are really important. And when you don't have local reporters working on local issues, that's bad for democracy. And, you know, it, it, again, like I said, this is just sports, but in many ways, that's what's always made our local sports beat so interesting is because we've always had a bit of an irreverent. We've always had kind of, I think for the most part, a consciousness of trying to stand somewhat apart from the team trying to cast a critical eye even the people that perhaps in the old, you know you might say were much more pro team i think there was always a streak of 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 sort of critical analysis willingness to actually think a little bit about it you're going to have people of course who always are on the team side that's just inevitable that's how it works there's nothing wrong with that in fact that's healthy and normal because Otherwise, the discussion gets boring. It's just constantly the house. And that was always the joke about the house of negativity about 1040 was that, well, no, actually, they said lots of things that were like quite, you know, quite in favor of the country. I mean, Jason Brock, if anybody ever, you know, if you ever actually think about it, Jason Brock just wants the team to win. You know, he doesn't like being a negative person. But, you know, that was part of the deal was that at the yeah, end of the day. The news is negative. Like, what do you expect? I'm fucking sick of this, you know? <laughs> Like I just, exactly. And, 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 you know, that really sticks with me because, you know, when Botch passed away and the Canucks hosted them, they hosted a, a media memorial night, essentially, a bit of a wake. And it was full credit to them for stepping up and doing that. And Jim came down. Jim, Jim, you know, came and talked to us and had, you know, had a beer and chatted with people, but also took a moment to step up and share some thoughts. And, 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 you know, <laughs> Botch was as harsh a critic as Jim as there was. And even Jim said, you know, the thing about Jason was he wanted us to be good. You know, and, and, you know, that was, that's something that's always stuck with me is that even on that side of the table where, you know, in many ways they'd rather it all just went away, you know, <laughs> right. Because who wants yeah. to hear, who wants to hear criticism of what you're doing. Right. But that really always stuck with me was that, you know, at the end of the day, they were, they, they understood how it worked and they you know, the, you know, the expectation on their side of the table, as long as you're fair, you know, they get how it works. And, um, you know, because it's, in the end, it's a results-based business. And it's not just the fact they need to deliver wins and money to the owner, but they need to deliver wins and money to the fans because they're the ones who really do, in the end, vote with their feet. And um, so let's let's jump over to that yeah. because of course we want to get into the Canucks, uh, yeah. Yeah. our other depressing topic to, to yeah, talk yeah. about today. Um, you know, I, I, maybe just, let's just start off with how close are we um, to a potential change in management here? How close? Um, that's a tough question. I mean, I've said I sort of said it last week. I think I think I think D Day could be a week away, which would be this weekend. You know, if if things go horribly wrong, I don't know. It's going to be tough to see. The Canucks have been, let's be honest, pretty bad. Um, and if things do continue on this sort of downward spiral that they've been ha having a hard time, you know, they haven't been able to shake their way out of. Yeah, I mean, optically, it, seems, it feels inevitable. Um, financially, it's always been clear to me that it makes the most sense to wait till the end of the year. Um, but we're now... You know, I also thought about it, you know, if you think in terms of paychecks, you know, most of the paychecks for this season have been paid out. And um, in general, a contract like, like Benning's would have a liquidation clause, which basically means half, essentially pay them out half of what's still due. So, you know, the question then, of course, is how, what's the structure of the, contact, of the contract? And Sat's been 
been digging a lot into this and so you know i kind of defer what you have to say but you know is there an option year is there two option years what is is there a buyout clause as a result like all these kinds of things are worth considering i think at the end of the day you know it's obviously if they don't make the playoffs i don't see how he possibly stays he's been he's let's be honest he's been under pressure from ownership you know, for a couple of years, that's, that's what, what's been drive. That's what drove the JT Miller trade. I mean, in the end, he's been under pressure since the beginning, but he's been under really big pressure because, you know, they want to play playoff games and that's what drove the JT Miller trade. Um, you know, I mean, in the end, the JT Miller trade was also, you know, was about making the team better. There's no doubt about it, but it was a really big bad um, to pay off. And I said that at the time, I said, this has to work for it to be a good trade, which is not exactly the most secure way to sort of justify player movement like that. <laughs> but, you know, in the end it worked out. Um, it almost didn't, but it did. And, but here we are, you later. And, you know, he's, he is dealing with the fact that he's made some really poor dis- decisions and structuring his roster over the years. Um, you know, can't make any more, couldn't make any moves in the offseason, partly because the owner didn't want to spend any money, but partly because he capped himself out and nobody was interested in the players that he was paying too much money for. So, you know, in many ways, he's made his own bed. So, you know, if they don't make the playoffs, yeah, he's going to be gone. There's no doubt in my mind about that. You know, is there any way to get, you know, is there any way he's gone before then? You know, I mean, I think if the brand is getting deeply embarrassed, you know, there is a, there is a chance for that. that. That, you know, there's sort of two things that drive um, you know, as talking to people that drive the Aquilinis in terms of how they certainly think about the Canucks, and one is money, and that's been a frustrating story for five years, and and two, it's it's you know essentially embarrassment. They don't want to be embarrassed. They want to have a successful brand. They want to have the best restaurants. They want to have you know the sort of you know best regarded uh, hockey team. Um, you know, there's a lot of vanity products involved in their businesses and some of them are really successful. And right now the Canucks haven't been one. So, you know, if, if there's sort of a rationale that somehow getting a change right now makes a difference. And certainly, you know, if you're looking at the, the long-term future, you need to really take some short-term pain, which involves, you know, first of all, trading everybody you can basically by the deadline. Um, you know, once you've made, you know, once you've realized you're just not making the playoffs, um, trading everybody you can by the deadline, picking up some picks, using those picks to actually um, accrue some some advantage ahead of the expansion draft. You know, picking up some players that teams are going to lose otherwise, and at least that way they get a draft pick out of it. You know, there's ways to leverage their situation that at least give them some kind of path forward uh, and, and show a sort of show a, that there's an, a bit of an ambition to really build this team into a contender, which at the end of the day, if you're Bo Horvat, you're Elias Pettersson, you're Quinn Hughes, you're, you're Brock Besser, that's what you want to see. And that's what you want to, you want to have happen. So, you know, I, I think that's the real question is sort of, you know, <clears throat> if, it, if push comes to shove, the one argument you do want to make is that you, you probably want to have someone leading, someone else leading the ship uh, going into the trade deadline. Um, but, you know. That's what I was thinking too. You know, that, yeah. that, there's some time left for that. But, you know, at the same time, you know, what's your process going to be? Who is that person going to be? You know, do, do you bring in an advisor type? Um, you know, do you and then wait until the summer to really make a proper choice? I, I don't know. I mean, there's obviously, you know, we, we saw a lot of the candidates being kicked around with the Penguins hiring. You know, I'm sure there'd be some, some of that spillover into here if there was interest. Um, but you know, what do you want this team to be? And, and honestly, at the same, also in the end, who's going to come into this situation? Certainly the players are appealing, but it, you know, and I think, you know, every owner obviously has his opinions. How does this owner stack up compared to other owners around the league? I have no idea, but it's going to be a challenging st- situation from that standpoint as well. I know you kind of may have just answered that by saying you don't really have an idea, but you know, one of the other kind of debates on, on Twitter is of course, how much is Francisco actually involved in the hockey related decisions uh, and, and, you know, how are, are the handcuffs on now, you know, kind of firmly, essentially mm-hmm. that meaning, you know, anything that he does hockey related, does he have to run that by Francesco? And if so, do you have any idea when those handcuffs, you know, came on? Well, oh, well, I mean, you know, certainly the financial question has always been there. Um, you know, I think they were, we know they were involved with the, with the, with the Tortorella, going back to Tortorella's hiring. Uh, there's been influence there. 
Um, and, you know, I think it's been, it's been wavering. Part of the reason they hired Trevor Linden was to sort of be the new leader of a front office. And at the end of the day, he um, disagreed with ownership and ownership made their call, you know? And so that's, you know, that's, that's kind of it. Benning was given, you know, sort of control and, um, you know, to a degree, you know, obviously still makes personnel decisions. He hired a bunch of scouts. He got rid of Judd Brackett, you know, like those were his choices. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think last, the last year has been different, obviously because of the financial changes of the world. Um, and we certainly know that in the off season, that was a huge, you know, the budget was a huge motivating, motivating, motivating factor, mitigating factor. I don't even know which way I would be going, but you know, the, the, yeah, there was a, there was a, there was an issue there. And um you know, so I think that's the other factor is that like, I mean, a new person coming in is going to definitely demand that they have full control of hockey operations. And that's how it's supposed to be. That's certainly how it's been for a lot of the Canucks' history. Um, and it's really the only way forward because you don't want to have, uh, you know, you leave the ho- leave the hockey stuff to your hockey leaders you know you, yeah. you, you might know you might have learned something about being about hockey having been an owner for 15 years there's no doubt about that i don't think you can argue that that point but at the same time you know let the people that you've hired to do the job do the work and uh, you know if you if you if you find yourself getting involved there's something off and i think you know i, I think that on its own um you know, tells us enough about the story that, you know, there's, there's enough reason to believe that, yeah, Jim Benning hasn't had a free hand to do his job. So here we are. So from what I can tell, and, you know, kind of going back to Gillis as well, new GM has full control. And then when things start to go off the rails from Aquilini's opinion, he starts to get more and more involved. And of course, you know, torts being evidence of that. So do you think again, the handcuffs are essentially, you know, Jim has been, you know, under the direction, control of francisco this entire seven years no or do you no 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 no. and i you know i mean there's you know i think i think i you know i think i think the influence from above has been has been uh you know up and down i think um i think there's been more influence lately um certainly when it comes to budget issues that's they've been much more involved than ever and, and at a certain level you can understand that um but, you know, there, there has been a clear, uh, you know, I, it's one of those ones. Well, of course, the directions to make the playoffs, right? Of course, um, yeah. Revenue. So, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's one of those ones that you can kind of say, well, I'm, you know, but at the end of the day, trust them to do their work. That, that to me is the thing. And, I, you know, that hasn't been always been the case, certainly in the last couple of years. Uh, Sean, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I, I just wanted to, like, we've been able to see the penguins do their GM search. And now obviously they've hired new president and Brian Burke and Ron Hextall coming in as general manager. We've been able to see a lot of the names coming forward that interviewed for that position and potentially got fairly close. And some other ones that we have been throwing into that discussion for a long time, kind of pull out and withdraw from that discussion. Is there like, I know it's early. It's definitely early. Obviously Jim Benning is still sitting in his chair. But like, there's a lot of rumors that Aquilini's are at least fielding some feelers out there for for somebody that might be a potential replacement. Is there somebody that might stand out for that? <laughs> like, uh, it's. Uh... <laughs> I know it's super early, and I know like we've seen him switch back and forth from philosophy a lot, I... like go from Nonus to Gillis, Gillis to Benning. Like yeah. those are some big jumps. Do we see him going back to somebody that's a little bit more like Gillis in that way? Speculation. Let's put, let's put, sure. Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. I, I, I think the idea of Roberto, first of all, the idea of Roberto Luongo coming here, I, I, I don't think it's happening. I, I, you know, I, I don't talk to Roberto, but I've talked to people that talk to Roberto and they're just like, he likes living in Florida, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, He's a panther, everyone. Like, you know... It, it, <laughs> You know, I, I, you know, in many ways, I think the thing to think about is, you know, there, there are obviously people out there, some nearby, um, you have familiar experience with him, with working for this organization. And um, sometimes it really is about the devil you know. And I think, 
I think, I think any, let's put it this way. I think anything is possible. I'm not saying one thing or another. I just think anything's possible. It, it is such an unusual situation because of COVID. Um, you know, I think there, there's certainly, from what I can gather, um, you know, the sort of viewpoint of who to hire, who to have um, within the Aquilini family is not unified you know um so you know that alone is going to be an interesting thing, thing to follow is is sort of what they settle on because you know they've whatever you think of their business practices they've been very successful so they know a certain way to run things and um you know i mean the record speaks for itself you could i don't need to get into that you can figure yeah. out you know, how they generally approach things. So, you know, that, that alone may make it challenging in terms of who they want to bring in and who they want to hire. Um, you know, it is maybe one of those ones where they're trying to um, thread a needle in terms of finding someone that realistically probably isn't that expensive, um, would be willing to take on the job who is self-confident enough to say, yes, I can turn things around given all the constraints you may be trying to force on me. You know, that it also may not be realistic. They may not be able to find the type of person they want for, you know, sort of based on all that. You know, I, I've, I've used this analogy before, but long ago, my, uh, you know, one of my, my mom's cousins, he had a, a cabinet making business and you know, on their business cards was uh, good, quick, cheap, pick two, right? Because <laughs> it yeah, can be good and be quick, fair. but it's not going to be cheap. Yeah. It'd be good and cheap, but it's not going to be, you know, not going to be quick. It'd be quick and cheap, but it's not going to be good. You know, you got, you, you, that was just kind of the reality. And, I, you know, I, I've always thought that was kind of a, a nice kind of way of putting things. So, you know, it, it, you you can, uh, you know, money in the end is the, is the is sort of the object here. How much money are they willing to spend? Um, and, and, you know, how wide a net are they willing to cast? And uh, like I said, it takes another person on the other side to come in. So um, certainly, you know, there's, there are people, you know, in the game who are familiar people outside the game, you know, might feel less, you know, I mean, it's no mistake that I've mentioned him because he was such a different person in the world of hockey. It doesn't have to be Mike Gillis that come, you know, uh, that seems crazy. Um, I was just going to ask, do you think Mike Gillis would work for Francesco Aquilini again? I think there's a chance. It seems Gilman would not. Who knows? See, this is the thing. It's, you know, at the end of the day, if you get a chance to be a GM, like I think the thing, sort of the thing we know about Gillis is that, you know, he's not interested in being, and he said this, he's not interested in being a GM again. He doesn't want to be the guy doing that job. He does want to be involved with, 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 you know, on a team. You know, I've talked to him a few times, obviously, over the years. And, you know, one thing that's always stood out about him is the guy, the guy at the end of the day wants to win. That's sort of the, that's the thing. Um, you know, so he's, you know, he'll take opportunities where there's a chance of that. Um you know, I, I think realistically, I, it still seems a long shot. You know, I think, I think, I think hockey needs him more than he needs hockey in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was just going to lead you to that question. Cause again, it's another thing that's of course yeah. talked about a lot, uh, you know, whenever you bring him up is why has he been out of work for seven years? I think some of his, you know, I think some of his, his manner and his style and, you know, he's, he, 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 you know, when you, you're as successful as he was in a particular way, you know, you're going to rub people the wrong way. It's inevitable. And, and he, there's no doubt that in his career, he's been one who cared less about other people, sort of their feelings. And if they you know, respect what he did, if they were impressed by what he did, great. But he wasn't in there necessarily, I don't think, you know, I mean, he, he and Brian Burke are sort of two of the great rivals in you know, hockey history and one of them keeps working and one of them doesn't. And there's a reason why, because one of them in the end gets along better with the powers that be than, than the other does, but they've both been successful in their lives. So, you know, pick one course. I, I, I personally would rather be 
you know, I think the more on the sort of creative, interesting side, will you know, able to live a life of Riley in Oak Bay versus have a, you know, in the end, constantly needing to go to work. But that's just me. Um, <laughs> no, I. So what I was going to say was, that, you know, I, I, you know, the Canucks would be wise. You know, the Equities would be wise to find an innovative, different thinker. Right. That's the point. It's not that it has. It's not that Mike Gillis has some sort of exclusive. Um, understanding of the game that no one else has uh, there's a lot of people around the game you know they're not what we would sit necessarily consider quote-unquote hockey men but there's a lot of people around the game who would be very good in that role um, so you know it's gonna be interesting to see how things play out I think there's no doubt about that I, they need someone who's going to be aggressive who's creative who, who understands the game in the modern context um, you know who has who has a, a vision they're they're you know the equities are you know for all their sort of um, old school penny pinching you know budget conscious ways they are interested in sort of creative solutions to problems i, I think there's there's a lot of evidence of that um well and i think that's the big thing that really jumps out to me when i think back to I mean, again, we'll use the Gillis regime, but that's really only because that's one of the few examples that we have of, of somebody like that, that's not a hockey man who comes in from the outside and brings a lot of outside of the box, really creative thinking. Um, for, for kind of people, I guess, like myself, that really are drawn to that regime because of that, um, because we've seen things and that aren't normally done, but we could see why they were being done. We could see the vision that was happening in front of us, why these things are happening. Like people like to poke fun at like the sleep doctors and stuff like that. But I like that he went and tried to find any edge, any edge to win. Yeah. And, and it wasn't just, okay, like going to the country club with all your hockey guys and thinking about a hockey trade, good in the room guys. It was what would actually give us a, a, an actual edge, try to find strengths and weaknesses. How do we prolong players' careers? How do we, how do we get them to be uh, reach their full potential and, and that kind of thinking. And I don't know if it's just that we liked that or we, we liked that, and the accompaniment of somebody mm -hmm. that can articulate that plan mm -hmm. so well. Um, but I, I think that's one of the things that really draws, I guess, myself and, and others to somebody like Mike yeah. Gillis is because of exactly those reasons. And it doesn't have to be, again, doesn't have to be Mike Gillis. Uh, I think of guys like Eric Tolsky uh, or even like a Chris McFarland in, in Colorado. Some yeah. guys that think a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's the Kyle Dubas story, right? Like Kyle Dubas, Kyle Dubas, yeah. Kyle Dubas worked the hockey man route. Like he was an agent. He got involved in junior hockey, but he was a, he was a shooting star and Brendan Shanahan saw that. And, and, um, you know, had, had, uh, had, had some new ideas. And I, and I think that's the thing to recognize. And that's what I mean. I said, there's lots of people out there. There's people working in hockey. There's people who have been working in hockey. Like, you know, the, the, the way the sort of networks is actually way more dynamic than anyone realizes, but there's still this kind of longstanding cabal of people who just keep turning over, turning over, turning over. And, you know, there's no, there's no reason for them to sort of continue on other than there's sort of this, this tendency to scratch each other's back in, in, in hockey. And, you know, I said it in a recent, one of my recent post-game skate blocks, um, I think it was after, it was after Spencer Gillis did his thing, <laughs> but um, you know, you look at the document, the pitch document, and there's nothing for those of us who sort of have do live outside hockey and actually spend time thinking about organization and stuff like that, there was nothing shocking about it. It was all very logical. But the point was is that for many cases in hockey, this was an amazing thing. Um, you know, someone joked to me. It was like, well, you know, you know, I know how to use cap friendly, but you should see some of these presentations where it was just printouts of oh, here's all the players I would sign, blah blah blah. And it's like anybody can do that, like. 
tell me what you want what you want this organization to be what you how you how you make decisions what your process should look like and and as a general rule hockey hasn't done that for some reason i mean this is the thing that always amazes me is that you have all these owners who are mostly multi-billionaires and yet they somehow set aside everything they claim to know about making money and running a business and just take the advice of the hockey guy the you know the hockey men that are involved, Gary Bettman. And, and, you know, they said, well, who should I hire? And they said, well, here's a list. And it's always the same list. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, no wonder. The, only, the only tangible <laughs> thing that makes any sense to me, because again, of course, I've wondered the same question. Why are the same guys getting, and of course, again, what Gillis didn't have is the old boys club does count for something because again, you're boys with those people, you know, you can pick up the phone and call them and they're going to be a little bit more receptive to your trade offer or, you know, transaction or, or conversation, then someone who's not in the club, you're going to be a little bit more adversarial with. And again, by no means am I saying this is a good reason to keep hiring the same people, but it's the only thing that I can actually come up with that is, you know, does give someone on the inside, you know, a leg up on someone like Gillis who clearly did struggle building those relationships. Well, I don't know if that's the way to put it, to be honest. Um, you know, he was... I think it was just more like I said, he just didn't, in Gillis's case anyway, um, you know, they, they made plenty of moves. They made plenty of trades. There wasn't an issue of, um, I don't think there was ever an issue of the fact he didn't get along with Brian Burke, you know, like at the end of the day, he's like, no, I'm not doing this. I mean, he had, he was the GM of an NHL team that had players that other teams wanted. And, you know, you, you, you don't get there by be, by just saying no all the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, there you have to be pragmatic. You may not get along with the other people on the other team, but you have to be pragmatic. Um, you know, there. but, you know, the point does stand that, yeah, there's a reason why people get keep getting recycled. And that's because they're familiar and get along with everyone involved and don't make it cause a stir and are good to have, you know, good to drink beer with and tell fart jokes with, you know? Counts for something. (laughs) Well, and I I actually really like the example that you brought out with Kyle Dubas because Kyle Dubas has actually faced a lot of the similar, like a lot similar um, criticisms that Gillis faced in in a lot of ways. And it was that, like one of my favorite ones that I, I remember reading about Dubas was that he, he, overvalued his players in trades but then like the other team would trade make the trade with him like the captain trade right um and he traded a third line winger for a first round pick right but like the other person on the other end ended up agreeing to that it ended up being successful trade um in that it was accomplished but i just i i don't understand that mentality so much that like you have to be buddies with all these people at the end of the day they're competitive too and your your job is measured off of uh putting out the best competitive roster against those very guys that you're supposedly supposed to be all buddy buddy with to make these trades and so i think there's a lot of unfair criticism towards people that are uh, outside the box, the black sheep thing, right? You know, yeah, like, yeah. And and hockey has remained this kind of backwards thinking. You know, I mean, in the end, it's populated by guys that don't have, don't have a whole lot of educa- education, think the same way, like the same jokes, and it's kind of this little clubby. You know, it's still stuck in you know, a lot in a lot of cases in this in this. You know, I don't even know 1980s sort of bush league mentality that it's you know it's like it's two steps away from slap shot and (laughs) they put on a suit so and there's a lot of money involved so it seems like it's the the real deal but it's there's so much you realize that it's just kind of really that's that's what that's what we're watching that's that's who's making all the calls you know and it's just like you know me you know there is some there are people there who do have some wisdom and do have some knowledge but um you know, the, 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 it, it's like the old, you know, sort of intangible versus it's like the eye test versus the data, you know, it's like, it's right. looking at that, like, okay, great. He looks good, but does he actually <laughs> do anything? And like, that's why, you know, like Dale Talon, Dale Talon was in charge for 10 years 
and made the playoffs twice. And once was because it was like an atrociously all-time bad division. And the other time was because he wasn't actually in charge. <laughs> it's true. So, you know, um, I mean, there's a case of an owner who didn't really know what he was getting into. And that's part of the story about the league overall. And I'm, I'm going to have to go here. But, um, yeah. you know, it, that's, that, that's the frustrating thing about hockey is that it could be so great. And it just doesn't, it, it, it doesn't want to, it has no interest in really that a lot of it. And it's just like, it's such a slow slog. I mean, I think there's going to be change. I look at players like Travis Green, even, you know, Travis is still kind of from the old WHL mentality, but Travis is a guy who, who is interested in how things are, why things are, you know, there is a bit of, you know, you look at people our age who are going to be more and more involved you know, just the pure fact of how we, how our brains were trained in school, like critical thinking, just, you know, you go back a generation, you know, people, you know, like 10 years older than me, that wasn't, that still wasn't in the curriculum. I'm kind of the first wave of critical thinking being everywhere in school. And so now we're going to run into a new wave of younger managers who, you know, may also have been players, but at least they went through, you know, the education system and, and had their brain trained to some degree um you know whether they were paying attention or not is kind of moot there was just a bit of there's osmosis you know just having a way of thinking about things from a slightly different angle and i think that that is the thing that may it may this may may become you know 10 years from now this may just be a moot discussion because now you know you know ron you know ron hextall is 56 and he's he's in in sort of the 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 hockey man cabal is young guy you know brian burke is 65 you know, somewhere like, around there, yeah. you know, so it, you know, there is, there is just a, the generational turnover may just take care of a lot of this anyway. Um, so, you know, I mean, we're, you know, I still remain optimistic about the future of hockey. It's still, you know, it's still ridiculous that it's so hesitant to, to evolve itself. That eventually so the Lou Lamorellos, uh, yeah, the Lou Lamorellos will eventually age themselves out of the league, yeah. and it'll just take care of itself. <laughs> Before we let you go, Patrick, I know you got to run. Uh, just a one-word yes or no uh, answer for this question: Do you think there is any, uh, you know, smoke behind this report that Francisco is looking to sell the team? No. Okay. No. Well, we'll leave because it there. Of how you phrase the, because of how you phrased the question. Oh, damn it. How did I phrase it? How should I have phrased it? That he's actively looking. He's not actively looking. No. Maybe he's open he to it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I think he would. Okay. Yeah. They're to make money. But I think in the end, his, this is his, you know, this is his fancy sports car. You know, like. Exactly. He has, he has no reason to. You know, would they consider, I mean, like I said, they, they, I've written about this. Like, people have called. Of course people have called. And they've said, sure, we'll sell the team. And then people, what about the arena? And they go, no. <laughs> so, so, you know, I mean, basically they're saying, go build your arena, then we can talk. Right. But Which nobody's going to do. I have a hard time imagining it. Yeah. You know, there's, it's a, there's a complicated way you could, you could talk about it. But no, I, I don't think, no, I don't think the Aquamans are looking to sell the team. The reason I ask is because, of course, again, you know, when you go to sell your house, what you do is you clean it up and you have little cracks in the wall, you paint and you make sure it yeah, looks tip top. No, so, well, again, if you think you're in the mentality of wanting to, you know, sell the team, you absolutely should be looking to fire betting as quickly as possible because well, two yeah, million and or whatever he's yeah, going to get paid uh, is yeah, yeah, Well, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll end on this point. It's so, <laughs> you know, when I first started asking this question last week, or not last week, last year, sort of poking around just trying to figure this out. What does this mean? Someone pointed out to me that if you go back and look to the Vancouver Grizzlies before they got sold, they'd stripped everything down. There was almost nobody working for that organization. You were buying the team. You were buying a franchise and a bunch of bad basketball players. Michael Heisley, what he, that's why he literally comes in and just like creates a whole new front office. So yeah, if you if you're looking for things to point, you could you could you could certainly make the case that they're setting that up. I don't have any reason to think they are, but you certainly could make the case. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, Patrick. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on in uh, such short time, and uh, we'll uh, make sure to catch your work. Uh, of course, I don't know if there's anything that you want to mention before you sign off, but uh... problemsforce.com. It's always there, or at Rising Actions, my Twitter. There you go. Perfect. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate right. it. Take care, guys.
you want a podcast that brings hard-hitting sports analysis and gives a voice to people around the world of Canucks hockey and sports, well, the Avid Discusses podcast is for you. It is a podcast that covers Vancouver Canucks hockey, but not just Vancouver Canucks hockey. Vancouver's Warriors Lacrosse, Chelsea Football Club of the Premier League, the other Vancouver sports teams, the Lions and the Whitecaps, and even some NFL and MLB. So, check it out for myself, Joshua Ray's takes and discussions and interviews with guests. Check out the Ever Discusses podcast, part of the Area 51 Sports Network. Modular, interactive, modular, ring, 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 banana phone.